Welcome to the Sunday Morning Message with Pastor Nick Stringer, brought to you from Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. Creekside Church, where the Spirit flows. Chapter 22. This is the fourth and final message of our series, Jesus' Teaching in the Temple. And today's message is titled, Many Are Called, Few Are Chosen. And this is taken from the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, which we, which we read earlier uh, to open up our service. As you see on the screen there, that is called the crane game. And it is the arcade where you put your money into the slot and you try to move the mechanical arm to pick up the stuffed animal that you want. You pick one out based upon... Uh, what you like the most maybe it's something there in va- of value and I hundreds of times have tried to pick things out of these machines over the years only to fail miserably but I did win one time and I can't recall exactly what it was that I pulled out of the machine but it wasn't what I was going for I was going for a watch that was in one of those little plastic balls and I put the arm down and I I didn't measure it up proper but I ended up getting some sort of stuffed animal so you can win out of those things it's not that much of a uh, of a shyster type machine so you can win but similar to this but yet strangely different the Lord makes his selection of us but he doesn't do it like the crane game he doesn't look upon our physical appearance Or he doesn't look at the value that the world places upon us. But he says, I will choose you based upon your faith and your love for me. And he pulls us up out of the world based upon our faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. And so what we want to learn today is this. All who accept God's invitation will enjoy what he's prepared in his kingdom. And that brings us to a question to answer. How does the Lord invite people into this kingdom? And I thought that this question would be a good one to answer, even though it may not have a lot of personal application. But I believe a lot of personal application comes from just knowing who God is and knowing God's heart. And I believe that is what has helped me most in my walk with the Lord and my uh, personal life and situations that arise at any moment is just having the comfort and knowledge Lord is that he is faithful that he is true that he is unbiased and he is impartial and that he is there to provide for us and so we will answer the question how does the Lord invite people into his kingdom and I think it'll be encouraging and uplifting to you so let's get down to the context of the passage here very quickly when does this take place this takes place about 32 AD again This is the same time frame as the previous messages. During the Passion or the Holy Week. This is between Christ's triumphal entry and his last supper with his disciples at the Passover. And this takes place in the temple court of the Israelites, which is open to all Jewish men and where they would sit and wait while their sacrifices were being burned. That is a model of what we believe that Herod's temple, King Herod, that he had built, a very extravagant temple, may have looked like. We do not have pictures 
uh, that verify that, but that's what they believe that it may have looked like right there. It took 18,000 workers to build that temple. And the Nicanor Gate, which is uh, one of the gates that leads to the temple courtyard right here, that gate was made of bronze and took 20 men to open that gate. So you can see it was a very uh, majestic temple. Who was involved in this passage? We have Jesus giving the parable to the, the Jewish religious leaders. And in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, because Jesus Christ is the one true and living God. And then also we have the Jewish religious leaders here. Jesus called them out for being hypocritical and self-righteous. And many of their teachings today have influenced modern rabbinic Judaism. Um, for an example, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, when a lot of places were requiring temperatures to be taken uh, upon entrance, uh, the rabbis, uh, rabbinic Judaism in Jerusalem, said that it was forbidden for their people to go and visit sick patients in the hospital because it was a violation of the Sabbath day of rest for people to measure temperatures of the people who were coming in. They were saying that, is, so do not go. And isn't that silly? And it reminds you of what Jesus said. Is it lawful to do good or evil on a Sabbath day? And so a lot of the Pharisees' teachings carries over in today, and you see it a lot in modern religion, which is why we are focused not on religion, but on relationship with God, and we want to hear what God's Word has to say to us. And so here's the what and the why. What is happening in this parable of the wedding feast? Jesus' parable condemns the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And why is this happening? Because the religious leaders have rejected Jesus and God's plan. So, Jesus tells them this parable of the wedding feast to expose them and to expose their hypocrisy. And you know, as strict and as harmful as they were to the people, the Lord still loved them. And there was still a hope that these Pharisees would see the light and that they would turn from their ways and turn toward the Lord. Let's give a little bit of background, and you'll see on the back of your handout today, there's a key there that kind of explains everyone's part in the parable of the wedding feast. As you know about the parables that Jesus gave, he would often use uh, parts, people, to as synonyms to represent other people. For example, the king who is given the feast that represents, of course, Father God. The king's son, of course, represents Jesus Christ. Now, the servants, that would be those who delivered the message, would be the prophets and the apostles. The invited guest represents Israel and the Jews. They were invited, but they turned away the invitation. And so now the Lord sent his uh, servants with the message out to the entire nations and it represents Jew and Gentiles anyone who would receive the Lord's invitation to come to the wedding feast and the wedding feast of course represents the heavenly kingdom who God calls to all people 
to be invited, right? So, you know, weddings are very, very fun. And uh, a wedding in this type of situation, what would happen is that when uh, it was all, most marriages, in fact, all marriages at this time and culture were arranged, right? And it was usually a mutual agreement between the two families that would benefit them greatly. So what would happen is when a man and a woman were betrothed or um, what we would call today engaged, when they were engaged, the bride would take up residence in the father's household and she would stay with them while they pair a home. Okay? And when he was done preparing the home, then he would return to get his bride. And it was of a time, a day, and an hour that was unknown to her. But usually the event was announced with a trumpet call and a shout to the people. Here comes the, the groom to receive his bride. And then he would gather up his bride and there would be the wedding and then there would be the wedding feast. And so this is the parable that we have today, the parable of the wedding feast. The wedding has taken place and now there's the feast. And so we will begin to answer the question, how does the Lord invite people into his kingdom, which represents the wedding feast? And the first thing we see here is that the Lord sends out the word. Let's look at the scriptures here. Go to verse three. We're going to go to verse three. 4 and 9 in chapter 22 of Matthew. And it says this, And he sent out his servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Verse 4, Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who have been invited. And then skip down to verse 9. He says to his servants again, Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. So three times we see God sending out his servants, his messengers, to deliver his message, saying, come to the wedding feast. Now, weddings are very fun, right? There's food, there's music, there's dancing. In fact, I can't remember a time that I was ever invited to a wedding that I didn't go. I always like to go to weddings. Um, our culture is much different today, though. If you give out a wedding invitation, you'll usually send it in the mail. Or nowadays, you may send it off electronically. However, in this time and culture, it was a personal invitation. It was uh, servants sent out on official business by the ones who were hosting the wedding feast. And in this particular situation, it was a king who was giving a wedding feast for his son. And so he sent messengers out going about on the king's business to send out a message. And the message was this. The feast is ready. Everything is prepared. Come and enjoy. And so when they uh, would announce the feast ready, they would typically blow a horn or a trumpet to announce. dun da 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 the feast is ready. Come and partake. Come. Authority from the king. You know, Thursday was Veterans Day. And I had mentioned messengers earlier at the beginning of this message. And let's not forget the post riders. The riders who delivered those messages. Can you imagine being in the trenches uh, some of, during the Revolutionary War and taking a message 
from General George Washington to one of his other uh, commanders at the time, you were tasked on a very dangerous mission to deliver a very important message. You may or may not be familiar with the Pony Express, but the Pony Express was formed back in 1860. It only lasted a year and a half, but they were a mail delivery system. And listen to the, uh, the call for Pony Express riders that they put out, an ad that went out. This is what it said right here. Young, skinny, wiry fellows, expert riders, willing to risk death daily, orphans preferred. Very dangerous vocation that was being in a Pony Express rider because you were delivering messages, you were out on the open trail, and you had the possibility of Indians, you had the possibility of outlaws. At any moment, you could be gunned down right off your, your ride, your horse. And so we needed people to be able to risk death, to risk their lives. And God uses the same method. He is in the business of hiring people ready and willing to deliver a message that is not often very well received. Now, God has several types of messengers that he uses. He will use angels at some times. As you'll know, with Mary and Joseph, he sent an angel to them saying, you will uh, give birth to a child whose name will be Jesus, right? And then he uses his prophets all throughout history. You remember the prophets such as Noah? He was delivering a message. Hey, it's going to rain. It's going to flood. They were like, what? Huh? What's rain? It had never rained before. And then Moses, he was a prophet. He led his people out of Egypt and into the, uh, towards the promised land. And God has always used prophets and apostles to deliver his message. And the road has always been a dangerous one. But the message has always been a significant one. And the message is this. God has a wedding feast that is ready. He has prepared everything and he is inviting people to come in. Now, what that is symbolizing is this, is that God has prepared a heavenly kingdom. God has prepared, prepared a place in heaven and he is sending the message out that if you believe in my son, Jesus Christ, then you are accepting my invitation and you have a place at the wedding feast. You have a seat at the table. And as we'll see, what was the response of those who were invited to the wedding feast? Well, look what it says there in verse. It's those who have been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. They were unwilling to come. Now, if you send out an invitation to a wedding and you don't RSVP, may not be such a big deal today in our culture. I don't know. I don't think anybody might get their feelings hurt too badly unless you were a very important guest like a, a grandparent or a parent, right? Like you were someone who was expected to be there. But if you were just someone who was kind of on the outskirts, uh, just a friend of the family, maybe it wouldn't be too bad. But if you rejected an invitation from the king to attend the king's son's wedding feast, that was a grievous insult. And so that's what these people did. They were unwilling to come 
to the king's son's wedding feast. And it was looked upon as a rejection of the king. A very dangerous thing. But you know, the kings and the king's servants were greatly mistreated. And the king's servants have always endured hardship. We look at the hardship that all of his messengers have endured over the years. In many countries all across this world, the messengers, you know, they say, don't shoot the messenger. But people always do. In other parts of this world, the messenger is shot. The messenger is mistreated. The messengers are killed. The messengers are thrown in prison and beaten. We have had so many missionary-minded people leave our United States, go into other parts of the world, and be taken prisoner in other countries, usually separated from their families for years. And maybe they get to come back and be reunited with their families. But the message that the Lord sends out to the world isn't received very pleasantly oftentimes. And so we see that often with the prophets that he has sent out. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he suffered such hardship. He was put into stocks where he was bound up in his hands and his feet. He was thrown into a cistern. And I don't know if you know what a cistern is, but it's a concrete tank nowadays that would hold water. On a day like today, it might accumulate water that you would use for your household. State showers. We grew up with one where I grew up at Lawrenceburg Road. And so we had to ration water. When we took showers, we had to turn the water on, get wet, turn the water off, soap up, turn the water back on, and rinse off. You wasn't sitting in there for 15 minutes soaking in the hot water. You had to be quick and get out because laundry had to be done and we needed the water for other things. So you weren't dawdling using the water. You had to be in and quick and done or else you would get the wrath. <laughs> and when we ran out of water, we had to call a truck, a tank to come deliver water and they would fill up our cistern. So in dry climates, uh, we would go without water. We had to ration it and then we'd call and a truck would come and deliver water and fill up our cistern. And Jeremiah was thrown into this cistern, a dry empty cistern. It was filled with mud and filled possibly, probably with snakes. He was not treated very well. In Isaiah, he was another prophet who was delivering God's message. And he, ooh, how would you like to have this done? He was sawn in half with a wood saw, according to church to uh, tradition. Sawn in two with a wood saw. And then, of course, the greatest servant of them all, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And he came to deliver the king's message. He came to deliver the Lord's message. And what was that message? That God loves you and that through faith in me, he has a place for you in his kingdom. And how was that messenger treated? He was beaten he was ridiculed and eventually he was nailed to a tree and died right so these messengers are not treated very well and the scripture goes on to say in this parable that these messengers that the king sent out to invite people to his wedding feast were very persistent 
And I had mentioned that three times he delivers his invitation. Three times. He says, even though you are unwilling to come, even though you mistreat my servants, I am still going to continue to send out my servants with this very valuable message. And so the Lord is of the mind. If first I don't succeed, I will continue to try again. And the Lord is persistent because the Lord's love is great. And he sends his servants to call and call again. And after they are unwilling to come, what does he then do? And so what is the second way that God invites people into his kingdom? It is this. The Lord promotes his kingdom. Look what he says there in the scriptures. Let's go to verse 4. And again he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. That's a promotion right there, my dear friends. What is he promoting? He is promoting that you can come to my feast and you don't have to raise a finger, right? We've got uh, Thanksgiving on the horizon. And I see a shift in our culture. More people want to go out to eat and more people want to order their dinners, right? And have them already prepared so that you pick it up, you bring it home, maybe you heat it up. You serve it and then you throw everything away. Minimal cleaning, minimal cooking, minimal work, right? And so there's a host of places where you can go and you can get your dinner, have it prepared for you. Bob Evans may be one. And you bring it back and, and that's a good thing there. And that's what the Lord is saying. I have everything ready to go. Look, you're not going to have to sit and slave over the stove. You're not going to have to set out all the fine china. You're not going to have to make arrangements uh, for buying all of this food. Everything is prepared. All you have to do is come and take your place at the table and receive what I have laid out before you. And that's exactly what the Lord has done. He has done all the work. He has prepared the arrangements. He has prepared the feast, prepared the place. And now all we have to do is accept the invitation to come and dine with him at the table. And he offers that invitation to us. And you know, the Lord provides a first class feast. Will you open your Bibles to the Lord provides a first class feast? And it says this in Matthew 22. Again, he says, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. You know, the kings uh, in biblical times, they ate very well. Okay. And so what I want to do is I want to demonstrate to you a day's portion for King Solomon during a very prosperous time in the nation of Israel. Listen to what the scripture has to say. I'm in verse 22 of chapter 4. First Kings. Solomon's provision for one day, listen to this, was 30 cores of fine flour. Now a core was about 10 bushels. Okay? 10 bushels of fine flour, 60 bushels of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pet pasture-fed oxen, 
A hundred sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. That was one day's portion at the king's table. Now, did Solomon eat all that? No, he didn't eat all that. But the king's court did, and the king's household, and everyone who was invited to partake of the king's feast for that day would eat of that much. Now, there was probably a lot left over. But they estimated that that much food on a day could feed twenty-five to 30,000 people. Now, the point of that in the scriptures in 1 Kings was to show you how prosperous the kingdom was during the time of Solomon. But I also want to give you an idea of what a king's portion was so that you might imagine what type of feast was available at this wedding feast. This wasn't some Joe Blow, some commoner giving a wedding feast. This was the king. And so the food that was available at this feast was much better than what would be available at a feast that I would provide. We'd all be eating bologna sandwiches. If I gave a wedding feast, wouldn't we? But not when the king is providing it. It's the choicest of meats. It is the best that there is to offer. And the Lord is like the king of the wedding feast. He also provides the best that there is to offer. Any feast that you have partaken of here on this earth is nothing compared to what lies ahead at the marriage supper of the Lamb when you and I will sit at the table with the Lord and we will partake of the wedding feast. Now, there was a restaurant that used to be in Cincinnati. It was called the Masonette. Masonette, a five-star restaurant. In fact, it was the best restaurant in North America. For 41 years consecutively, the Masonette was a five-star restaurant. No other restaurant in the country could boast of that accomplishment. But the Masonette, right here in our hometown, our backyard of Cincinnati, Ohio. And they had some of the best cuisine, of course, in the country and around the world. In fact, they said 50% of the people that would come to their restaurant were out-of-towners. People would come just to Cincinnati just for the Masonette restaurant. But as good as the Masonette was, it doesn't compare to what the Lord offers. The king provides a feast that is incomparable. What the Lord has provided and what the Lord can offer to you today is something that not even the finest of restaurants all across the world can boast of. What the Lord has prepared for you is food that not only reaches down into your mouth, but it reaches down into your soul that only the Lord can provide. And it's a first-class feast. But what is the response of the people? Look what it says in verse 4. After it says that he has prepared and fattened his livestock and everything is ready. Look what it says in verse 5. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business. The king is calling. He has the best food prepared and yet they don't care. They go to their farm and a Greek word there is agros which is where we get our English word agriculture. 
and they go to their business. And that's a Greek word, empor, which is where we get our English word emporium, which means a place of business. So they just go about their day-to-day lives as if what the servant's message is, is is insignificant. They don't even consider it. They just go about their day-to-day lives. How many people in this country and in this world today are just going about their day-to-day lives? Even the message from God's servants. Come, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you have ears to hear, let them hear. Who will hear the message of the Lord? Salvation is knocking at the door. Your chance to partake in a heavenly kingdom is knocking at the door. Don't just walk away from the message. Don't go back to your farm. Don't go to your place of business. But answer the invitation. It'll be the greatest decision that you ever made. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Answer the invitation. And so that is the second way the Lord that we are invited into the kingdom is that first God sends his servants and second he promotes his kingdom. And then the third and final way that he invites us according to this parable is that the Lord is unbiased his guests. The Lord invites people of all nations. Look what it says there in verses 9 and 10 of this passage. Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there invite to the wedding feast. Those servants went out into the streets and gathered together all they found both evil and good and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. You know, God looks at us with unbiased eyes. God is an impartial God. And so I want to answer a question that someone had put into the suggestion box. And I want to remind you that we have a suggestion box in the back by the window there as you come in. And you can put uh, things in there that you would like to hear spoken of. And I'd like to answer a question from this passage now about how do we love people that have differing opinions than us differing opinions whether they be political or otherwise and i believe the answer to that question is given in this parable by looking at people with unbiased and impartial eyes the way that god looks at us you see uh, in this world we'll have people with different points of view and different perspectives and different personalities that we won't agree with and they frankly, will rub us the wrong way. However, God looks at us with impartial and unbiased eyes. He says, you know, I have created you and I love you and yet you won't even acknowledge my existence. But yet I'm going to look at you with these divine unbiased eyes and we need to be able to do that the same way. We need to be able to look at people and say, you know what? You hold a different opinion than I do. I'm going to look at you the way that God looks at me and the way that God looks at you. And I'm going to choose to love you anyway. And it's a choice. No, you're not going to feel like you're going to like or love certain people. But yeah, we have to choose to love people. Love is a choice. It is not a feeling. Love is a choice, not a feeling. 
Okay? And so we need to remember that. Love is a choice. A choice to keep a promise and a choice to a commitment. And the Lord invites all nations. He says to his servants, go to the main highways and go invite anybody who is willing to come, who will take up my invitation and will come to my unbiased. He is not looking at what nations they are coming from. He is taking his message global. He is a global messenger and he is sending this out to the world. Anyone who is willing to come can come and he invites people of all different backgrounds. Look what it says there in the scripture, verse 10. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And you might be saying to yourself, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that he gathered evil and good? And what he's saying there is he's saying that the way that the culture looks at people, there are people who the culture sees as bad people, and there are people that we see as morally uh, moral people, right? This is a good person. This is not such a good person. And we make that distinction based upon judgments that we have. And God is saying, no, I am bringing all people in, anyone who will answer the invitation. So you can't make a judgment based upon what you see on the outside because I, Father God, am making that distinction based upon the heart. There will be thieves, murderers, prostitutes. There will be people of all kind who have laid down their sins, who have asked the Lord to forgive them, to forgive them, and they have accepted his invitation to the wedding feast. And it will not be based on outward appearance. It will be based upon the condition of the heart. Do you love me? And God will bring the invitation in people who receive that the evil and the good john three sixteen solidifies that and it says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall eternal life so this parable goes on to tell us that the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests it was filled with the lord's chosen many are called but few are chosen. To be chosen of God means that you have accepted God's invitation. Maybe the Lord is inviting you here today. Will you bow your heads in a word of prayer? Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are persistent in giving your invitation. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are patient with us. For even though we may be unwilling to come at first, and maybe we walk away and we go to our places of business and conduct business as we would on our daily lives, and we give no heed to your message, Father, you are still faithful to send out your word. And Father God, you send out your word to us unbiasedly and without partiality but you look at our hearts and you examine the hearts of all and heavenly father i pray that you are examining the hearts of us here today maybe there's someone in our midst here this morning that has never accepted your invitation to the wedding feast that has never accepted your invitation to eternal life 
if that's you this morning, then you can accept God's invitation. Just ask, say, Lord, I accept your invitation to eternal life. I accept that Jesus Christ is your son. I accept that he died on a cross for my sins. And I ask you, Lord, to come into my life, into my heart, to lead me and to guide me to be my one and only Lord and Savior. Ask him now at this time and he promises to give you eternal life and a relationship with him. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and for your compassion. We thank you, Lord God, that you have went through the trouble of putting together a wedding feast. And we're glad, Father, that you are good and holy. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message by Pastor Nick Stringer at Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. For more information, you can go to www.creekside-church.org and find us on the website. Once again, you've been listening to the Sunday message with Pastor Nick Stringer.